Hi, and welcome to my podcast series, The New Abnormal, which aims to make sense of our COVID-19 world today and tomorrow. I'm Sean P. Lodishenesi, researcher, author, and speaker from Brand Positive. As a researcher, I've spent 20 years conducting ethnographic interviews on global projects. Along the way, I've been lucky enough to have met some amazing people, from psychologists to activists to creatives, some of whom I'll be talking to in this series. I'm also the author of The Post-Truth Business, which focused on trust, empathy and privacy, while my second book, Influences and Revolutionaries, looked into innovation, behavioural change and the climate crisis. So, I hope you enjoy the interviews, and if so, please tell your friends, leave a rating and watch out for our other episodes. Now, without further delay, let's crack on with today's podcast. So today I'm really pleased to be joined by the entrepreneur and journalist Emma Louise Boynton, who's a background as a broadcast producer, working with the likes of Sky News, the BBC and Tina Brown Media. She's the co-founder and CEO of Her Hustle Network. Founded in 2019, it lifts the veil on the world of work and empowers women to carve out a career they want on their own terms. They believe that everyone should be given the opportunity to build a career that combines passion and purpose. She was also the co-founder of Venn Media and is politics and society editor of The Stack. Back in the day, she got a first in politics from Manchester Uni and did her master's at Birkbeck. Fantastic. So, uh, Emma Louise, hi, and uh, how are you? Hello, Sean. It's so lovely to join you today. And it's wonderful hearing your biography spoken at you because I'm used to interviewing people. So I'm always reading other people's bios. And it's so kind of flattering hearing your own. You're like, did I do that? Did I really do that? Is that me? So thank you for that very warm introduction. Uh, Not at all. It's going to be great, obviously, to go through the route to where you are now. But before we do that, I have to say, actually, as you were at Manchester Uni, Obviously, it's where the uh, the epic Fresh Meat was filmed, uh, the comedy drama. So oh, please tell me that uh, the likes of VOD, Oregon and JP were real. Oh, I can't say that they necessarily were. Um, but I do I do think back fondly to my Manchester days. I bloody loved it. It was such a wonderful time. And as chaotic and crazy and wonderful and mad as you can expect or imagine. Yeah, yeah. I know. Everyone always says that Manchester's absolutely a fantastic place to go to yeah. and, and obviously to live. Before we get into the, the whole issue around her hustle, which I know has just got a absolutely stellar reputation, um, go on then, just um, just talk us through, uh, if you like, the windy or perhaps very straight road that led to uh, where you are now. Definitely winding, definitely not straight. I am not someone who had a career plan, although I do always love to ask everyone I interview what their career plan was. I think in part Mm. because I'm like, maybe if I hear about everyone else's plan, I can kind of take a little bit of theirs, um, incorporate it into my own, into my own life plan. But no, I, I always loved politics. Um, and was really keen to study it at university and didn't really know to what end I was studying politics. I just knew that it was a fascinating subject. And I've always been really interested in how you create change. So who really controls the levers mm. of change and, and 
yeah, how do you how do you make a positive ripple in society? And so I think that's what drew me to politics. But it, I thought vaguely that maybe I'd become an MP one day. I um, After graduating, I did my uh, master's, as you mentioned earlier, and I did it part-time. Yeah. So I did night school at Birkbeck and did psychosocial studies, which is essentially kind of critical theory, like an extension of politics. And mm. worked at a think tank, the RSA, as Matthew Taylor, then CEO's researcher. And that yeah. was an amazing insight into the think tank world, which, again, I thought kind of MP think tank world is something I'd go into for me it wasn't fast-paced enough I love being uh like you know in the real thick of things I love kind of a lot of high adrenaline um so invariably I ended up being drawn to the newsroom which very much does make you feel like you are on the front line of politics and Mm. does give you that very satisfying dopamine hit um I have to say as it's constantly breaking news there's always you know so many fascinating stories to get stuck into so again there was no real plan to that it was more just following my love of radio essentially Uh, I'd always listen to Radio 4. It's kind of one of the main pillars of my education throughout my Mm. life, really. It's a bit of a lie. I think when I was younger, I was an addict to Nickelodeon and Disney Channel. But once I grew out of those... yeah, those uh, the, the TV binging, I did get onto Radio 4. And so it was really a love of audio and a love of, yeah, of, of, of that medium that got me into broadcasting. And from there... I mean, it was just a kind of, as people say, like a kind of squiggly career. It was very much meeting people. And I, kind of one of my favorite jobs to this day, Sean, was working as a mm-hmm. runner at Sky News on their Sunday politics program. Not only because the team was amazing, uh, the presenter, Dermot Murnahan, is still to this day, I just admire him so much. And the editor, Lucy mm-hmm. Clint, was fantastic. But because... I just got to hang out in the green room making coffee for, you know, the likes of the editor of Political Edge of the Times, you know, met lots yeah, of you yeah. know, previous prime ministers. So that gave me a real taste for what being in that political sphere was like. And I think mm. once you have tried that, it's very hard thereafter to walk away. So after that, it was just getting stuck into journalism and just trying my hand at everything from producing to broadcasting to writing. Yeah, just absolutely everything. Fantastic. I mean, in talking about the Prime Minister there, um, I was reading the latest uh, New Statesman and uh, Philip Collins has a great piece about the beast that is Boris Johnson um, saying that he became Prime Minister two years ago. He's a liar and a chancer, but popular. Why? Uh, uh, alongside, obviously, the uh, uh, sort of nonstop car crash that is Dominic Cummings. Um, <clears throat> and also in the same issue, um, the uh, London Bureau Chief for uh, Germany's public broadcaster absolutely tears Boris Johnson apart. So where does someone like you try and make sense of where we are now in a world of Brexit and COVID and uh, Trumpism, uh, et cetera, and polarisation, inequality? I mean, where, where do you start? God, uh, how long, do you <laughs> yeah, have, how long have you got? It's, it's <laughs> yeah, exactly. Several days I, later, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, it's a question I actually put to. So I run a uh, series at the moment called She Stands for the Stack, which is the women's media platform run by the mm-hmm. brilliant Charmdine Reed that I'm currently writing for. And I put this question, like, really, how do you make change like what is the first step to making change to all the female politicians that I interview so we're trying to interview Mm. not trying we're going to interview all 220 of the women in Westminster and I think the the, the answer that comes back every time and it sticks with me is 
everyone has a capacity to make change. It's looking within your own sphere of influence. Like, you, where are you? Mm. What? Who do you know? What? What? What ripple can you have at a very kind of personal level? And I think it's very easy to get tripped up by the macro questions. And invariably, mm. I was just mm. having this conversation with someone last night. An event I went to. The world is in perpetual crisis, and you know, you look left to right. There's so much that we need to fix. There's so much we need to address, from gender inequality to climate change, just to name some of the, the two biggest. Uh, things yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can it can feel so overwhelming and especially in a kind of 24-hour news uh world in which we're bombarded with uh you know quite sen- quite sensationalist half the time headlines we're really mm. we're constantly made aware of just kind of what what level of crisis we're in and it can feel i think overwhelming and actually so overwhelming mm. that you're then almost like paralyzed and you feel like you can't make a change and you can't really take action and actually i think mm. you know, as some of these these women have told me look at where you are look at the things that you can do whether that's in your local community whether that's in your friendship group whether that's in your kind of place of work what can you change and that's enough and i think that has been a really liberating thing for me or like way framework through which i can see what impact i can have because i think previously mm. i always wanted this is why i've done so many things Sean. this is why i've bounced around as a freelancer and you know had great experience doing it because i have wanted i've been drawn to everything and i'm like okay right you know i've worked for local trust a kind of grassroots level um uh, organization which uses creativity to address social inequality you know across the country uh to set up my own political issues platform trying to educate people about uh key political issues ahead of the 2020 u.s election i really zipped around being like what can i do what can i do um and oftentimes felt a little bit kind of yeah like mm. paralyzed by just how much there is that does need to that does need to change so i think really like simplifying things bringing it back bring it down to where you are and so for me for example right now i'm looking into uh on the side of kind of well, my writing and everything that i do um kind of for the bulk of my time just looking at local charities that i can vol- a local charity that i can volunteer at that helps uh victims of domestic abuse in my local area so just mm. keeping it local, keeping it simple. And that's something that I you know, write a lot about, that I think a lot about. And just seeing what I can do here and now and without getting tripped up by kind of the bigger, kind of scarier questions. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Then. And, and in terms of, um, you mentioned, so you're going to be interviewing um, all the female politicians, which will just be obviously spectacularly um, interesting. Um, just to clarify where you are now from the point of view of her hustle um, mm. and w- what it is that uh, that, that uh, you and your co-founder sort of set out to do mm. um, uh, in terms of the, uh, and I, I mean, obviously the site has the, the who, the what, the why, et cetera. So just take us through that um, so you understand exactly what you're up to. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, like pretty much every millennial, I wear a multitude of hats at the moment. So I have like one of those sure. quickly careers. There's loads going on. But Her Hustle is the women's careers platform that my co-founder, Elspeth Mary, and I founded in 2019, as you said, really with with one goal in mind. We wanted to demystify the data of jobs across a range of sectors because we felt that careers advice was just so poor. And mm. as we were navigating the early stages in our career, we were so reliant on the oftentimes quite serendipitous pieces of advice that were given to us over a, a coffee with a friend of a friend or, or, you know, at a party that we were invited to randomly, just anything. It was just, it was so dependent mm. on meeting randomly the, the, the right person at the right time and so we really wanted to create a platform and bring women together where we could share all these pearls of wisdom and really 
essentially create a space which democratized access to that sort of advice. So you no longer were reliant purely on your individual network, which can end up being quite an elitist thing. So mm. we set out to really as an events business um, and just ran a series of events which brought together panels of brilliant women who just shared their career stories. And obviously we were slightly hindered by lockdown, which just as we had our biggest event uh, where we did the Soho House International Women's Day, uh, March 2020. Lockdown happened a week later um, and we moved everything uh, digitally. So started a podcast, Mm. did a whole spate of online uh, courses and and events and that sort of thing. Um, And so... And during lockdown, so you know, through everything at the wall, we were still quite early stage in the company um, when, when when that sure. happened. And then of late, we've kind of slightly um, pivoted a little bit, as all startups do, and focusing really uh, less on the distribution of careers advice specifically and more mm-hmm. around just sharing female narratives, which has really essentially always been at the core of what we've done. Uh, so yeah. that means we're back to doing live events. Thank God. We've got a really exciting partnership coming up with the Edition Hotel, which I well, cannot nice. wait uh, to get started on. And said we've got a new podcast, The Art of Living Now, which takes a careers advice element but broadens it out and mm. presence is like how do the women we admire design their lives so from work to love to money it's so quite a holistic view what are the rules by which these women design their lives so that's podcast mm. um we we did we've had some amazing guests including the pop star Sigrid, um, journalist Brownie Gordon, founder of Galdem, Live Little, uh, really great guests. And we've just recently turned that into a new radio show, um, which mm-hmm. is a monthly radio show on the female-led, female-run radio station Foundation FM. So mm. as you can see, we've got a lot going on at the moment. But yeah, I'm just loving kind of being back to doing more of this live stuff. That for us was always the essence of the company. It was bringing together women in spaces where we can talk, we can share female-focused stories, share advice and generally kind of help to lift one up one another up the career ladder so yeah feels very good to, to be back as it were yeah yeah and that was uh, sound fantastic i mean in terms of the uh, the, uh, the podcast by the way the art of living now um and you mentioned so you know looking earlier on so you mentioned you had sort of a secret on um in terms of uh, the the epic unofficial feminist anthem don't kill my vibe um <laughs> and live little etc laurie nunn um I have it, Valentina Milanova, etc. Um, uh, Marissa Horden. Uh, any, um, yeah, perhaps just talk us through a few of, of those uh, interviews in terms of were there any um, particular standout points or indeed sort of commonalities? Any themes running through that you think really this is where this is where it's at? Oh, that's a great question, Sean. Uh, I mean, the thing that comes up all the time when I ask people what they wish they'd known when they started their career is always trust Mm -hmm. your gut, which I mean, I think is probably the most cliched piece of advice, but also the most important one. And everyone from Marisa to Laurie all suggested, all said the same thing, trust your gut. And actually, I have to say, even though I've heard that piece of advice given to me on so many occasions, I've always really Mm. struggled to actually understand what it means until recently when I don't know what I'm doing a lot of therapy, sex therapy, lots of stuff at the moment. And I don't know, I think I must've tapped into some intuition because I feel very Mm. much more in tune with my kind of guttural instinct. And 
people are right. It's really true. When you have that awful feeling in your gut that something's wrong, it generally is. And it's really good to act on that. Um, so that's always a, um, a piece of advice that comes up. Then I think, oh, Laurie Nunn, who is the uh, creator of Sex Education, a show I absolutely love Mm -hmm. she had a great piece of advice she said to always trust she's learned to really trust her process so it's her rule on work and for her as a writer I mean it's uh, you know as a writer as well not not producing uh, award-winning shows uh, myself yet but exactly. it's really soon. hard to exactly soon it's really hard to structure your day and your time effectively and efficiently when you're writing mm. because it's so dependent on like when you feel creative what ideas you have like are you in the mood for writing like I find it really difficult to kind of put my writing in a box um yeah. and structure it and be really organized about it and like have a normal working day I mean I've never really had normal working days I kind of work all the time and you know just like round the clock um yeah but I think but so her her rule was just learn to trust your process and she said that for so long she really tr- felt she would really lambast herself for not having that rigid structured working day that many of her contemporaries had and would always mm. panic that she wasn't doing it right but she was like in the end the results were always good and I think yeah. after she turned 30 I think actually the success of the show really made her feel able to sit back like relax into herself a little bit you know as it would yeah um but she said she's really just learned to trust her process and she knows that it may be chaotic it may be all consuming it may not conform to ideas of you know the how-tos of productivity but she knows Mm. that the outcome will always be good and she won't she you know she'll always get it done um and I think that really stuck with me because that particularly again as someone who's kind of writing and having a kind of uh slight unusual working schedule it is as long as you get the work done you know it's fine so so that was that really mm. stuck out to me then i always bring up um live little's piece uh, rule on love which i mentioned in the radio show we did recently as well just because it was such a moving one and yeah. she said that she'd always her mum had brought her up to always love fully and wholeheartedly so no no holes barred just really be vulnerable in love and give yourself wholly to it and that mm. was derived from her mum's i mean her mum had always loved like that and Liv relayed the story of her stepfather really, really tragically passing away a few years ago. And she said that her mum always reminded her, even though it was the most tragic and heartbreaking experience to have to like lost to have to go through. She was so she feels so grateful that she loved so deeply and lost rather than never having loved like that before. And I mean, mm. I just weep every time I listen to that interview and I thought it was such a powerful and beautiful piece of advice. Yeah, yeah. Yes, the epic old um, saying of it. Exactly. Loving a, a loss, etc. Uh, and, and what about the, uh, again, the, the career toolkit, one of the other um, yeah. uh, areas that you're involved in? Uh, and from the point of view of um, the, you know, the how I hustle angle, and I know, again, there you've, you've um, in terms of the uh, the info info one there from the point of view of uh, stuff you can read from the likes of Elise Williams and, and Gemma Finch etc perhaps just again talk us through um, what you're up to there yeah so we have we've been running this career blog um for a while now and it's really just getting the simple like how-to basics from brilliant women working across primarily the creative industries but sometimes we branch out beyond that on really Mm. how they got started and what the kind of key to the successes the key to their success looks like and I think for me this is something that spans beyond just the blog which sits on our website but through actually across every piece of content that we do and whether that be the podcast 
podcast, the radio show, the events that we do, uh, the, the digital Zoom stuff that we do. I'm always really yeah. interested in the habits and practices that people inculcate into their day-to-day that allows them to do what they do. Because mm. I think often it's actually the simple uh, it's the simple things that are really the key to allowing someone to flourish and be good at what they do rather than mm. have the bigger, I mean, obviously you know, bigger life choices matter, but I think success, however you define it, mm. so success just kind of personally, you achieving the goals that you want to achieve, moving the direction you want to move in is I think really reliant on consistency and that's something that comes up really across the board in the interviews that we do it's just consistency Mm. it's just sticking it's just day on day just making small steps forward in pursuit of what it is that you want and I think so with with the blog as I said with as with the podcast and with everything it's really digging into what are those habits and practices that are consistently a part of someone's life that Mm. enable them to be taking those steps forward in their career and also beyond just in their life generally so that's really why we wanted to to, to have that on on the website okay and then finally just coming off the site in terms of the uh you know the watching the career how-tos and uh, again on there people like ruby keen head of Mm. design at firmdale i mean there's a job. Uh, Claire Barnett, exec director of UN Women. Uh, there's a job. Lena Presswood, FT uh, Culture Call podcast. Mm. There's a podcast. Um, so uh, you've had some brilliant, really yeah. brilliant people on there. I mean, wow. We've had some amazing women. We really have. It's amazing as you say that. It's been, it's so funny because we've, so many of these interviews and these blogs and everything has been done during lockdown. So Mm. I feel this real affinity. We've got such an incredible network through Her Hustle, but actually I have half of them I actually haven't met in real life yet, which is so Mm. bizarre. Um, But no, we've had some really, really amazing women. And I think that's the thing that I'm always so struck by. And this is true from Her Hustle to the stack, kind of everything I've been doing is just how willing people are generally and the women we work with specifically are to share their advice to share their pearls of wisdom to really help other women up and I think it's something my friends and I actually were discussing the other day about how important it is for women to not have a scarcity mindset even though Mm. in a patriarchal society where a lot of the kind of big higher up jobs a lot of industries are very male dominated or at least the kind of higher up positions are quite male dominated yeah it can really breed that idea that there's only a very limited amount of space at the top and so i Mm -hmm. think can perhaps in some instances breed a culture specifically amongst women of feeling fearful that okay if i get the top then it's just me i have to like keep my position and i have to kind of guard it and actually my view, mm. you know, and, and her hustle's view generally, and this is something shared by the stack, is just the more women at the top, the better. Lift women up with you, make sure. the platform bigger, make the spaces bigger, get more women in. And I think that's something that really it brings me so much joy to see how many other women do also adhere to that principle and are continually mm. jostling to help other women climb up that career ladder with them so it always ga- galvanizes me to to remember all the fantastic women who've been so generous in offering us their time and their advice and sharing that with our with our community mm. actually on that exact point um it has to be said um in terms of a deliberate negative um from the point of view of uh, dare i say the patriarchy <laughs> have you had any men uh, deliberately try and trip you up or block your way? No, no, I really haven't. And actually, I've been so lucky that I've worked with some really, really incredible men. And actually, my 
some of my greatest mentors and champions in work have been male colleagues. I mentioned before Dermot Murnahan, who's a presenter yeah, of yeah. Fine News, who's brilliant and has been so generous in giving me advice and been so encouraging um Giles Wynn who used to be the head of interviews at Sky News as well has now become like a really close friend of mine and again Mm. just so generous in his advice and guidance um and just generally people I've people I've worked I mean I think I'm really optimistic in life like I really do I sounds so cliche I really love people I love that's why I love journalism I love chatting to people I love being around people I love meeting new people that's why Mm. lockdown was hell for me I hated <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. because it was so isolating but generally I mean my experience has been a lucky one people are good and kind and just I want to help you and I think the thing I would always say and I is you people can't help you if you don't ask for help and if you don't yep, know what yep. you want and that's yeah. when I look back like when I was at Women in the World for example in New York uh, working for Tina Brown I had such an incredible team of colleagues they were so brilliant and and wonderful and they were really eager to help me on like my the next stage of my career after the summit but I remember yeah. going for these coffees with some of the women there and they were like you know Emma Louise like how can I help you like what do you what do you want to do and I didn't I just didn't really know and so I would kind of almost mm. look to them to tell me what I wanted and where I wanted to go and like re- looking back on that it's fine you know when you're 24 you don't necessarily know what you want and that's okay but it's people can't give you yeah people can't help you if they don't know how to if they don't know what you're looking to do so even if you're not sure what you want your next step to be have something very tangible and clear that you are asking someone to help you with so Mm. even if it's just like you know I'm really interested in exploring this line of work or I'm really interested in creating my own podcast whatever it is because then like I know when people ask me for help if you give me a very clear indication of what you need and what you want I will actively try and help you on it but if I'm I can't give you the answers just like people couldn't give me the answers Uh, Mm. I mean god it's you know I'm just turned 29 and only now am I really clear what I actually want to do so it does it can take a while um Mm. But yeah, so I think people have always been, men and women alike, have been incredibly generous in terms of the advice and guidance they've given me. It's just, yeah, you've got to know what it is that you you want help with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then in terms of the uh, events, looking at some of those, um, so go on then, uh, in terms of um, any sort of, you know, practical um, sort of snappy points that come out of things like the, uh, for instance, you know, the uh, boosting self-awareness for uh, for success mm. and growth or how to make a profit, how to make profit and purpose work together. Mm. Um, we've already mentioned things like prioritizing time. But yeah, but so, in, so in terms of um, practical guidance towards boosting self-awareness. God, sure. You know what? These events were quite a while ago in lockdown, which mm. makes me horrified to, to admit that because I think time has been so truncated by lockdown. Yeah, yeah. It feels like kind of a million, million years ago. Um, but the, the self-awareness workshops were great and we host co-hosted them with um, Paradigm, which is a brilliant platform run by Courtney Carlson, who mm. has set up what is essentially basically like having a therapist in your pocket. Um, yeah it's incredible so it's and she's responding to the fact that therapy and coaching really helped her on her professional and personal journey and mm-hmm. she just felt frustrated by the fact that it's prohibitively expensive for many so she wanted to create this app that takes you through a, like eight I think it's eight 
six or eight step process I can't remember which mm-hmm. essentially is like coaching but you just do it through through uh different like, kind of worksheets and tasks on an app so if you can't afford therapy you can at least have the app which can help you go through that like therapy journey so we mm. did a number of workshops with them which looked at different pillars so like you know like what we have that we have the pillars with our podcast they had pillars that range from success to body to love um and a number of others so kind of the key pillars in in our lives that you know the things that really matter to us and they would essentially guide you through a process on the app that allowed you to just get a bit more kind of in touch with what you genuinely feel about a certain thing and I think it's really about like kind of uncovering the like layers of like the narratives that we get fed and what I mean by that is that I feel like self-awareness is all about helping you better understand yourself outside of the sometimes restrictive narratives that kind of you end up inculcating as a result of being in a society that tells you you need to do x y and z and be this and success looks like this so mm-hmm. one thing that always really stood out for me with those workshops which i really liked was their emphasis on defining success for you so and oftentimes that means redefining what success means to you because again yeah, yeah. you can find yourself and i've definitely been so guilty of this thinking like this is what i want this is the kind of success this is what success looks like to me in my life and then you stand back and you think but really, is that really what I want? Or is that what I mm. think I should want? And and what, how have I like planned my, you know, next steps or my, you know, designed my life in such a way that I'm actually trying to design a life for somebody else, for some external, you know, thing, for, for, some, for something that's really not me. And so with their workshops, I think they were really good at helping kind of ground you back in what you actually like and, and really got you thinking, okay, what is it that I like? How do I want to spend my time? What is it that gives me joy? And how do mm. I design my life and my career plan if I have one with that in mind? So yeah, so redefining success mm. was 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 a big was a big takeaway for me for that. Okay. Um, what about so when you're um running the events, uh, etc., and, and interviewing the, the sort of these range of amazing people? I mean, um. Are there any organisations? Are there any sort of big corporates out there, or indeed small ones, startups, yeah. etc., um, that, that, from your point of view, are doing it right? So, can you can you sort of point towards, um, you know, either might be the, the big multinational, the PNG mm. or the Unilever, whoever it is, you know, um, and say, you know what, now there's an organisation that are really clear on the HR side, apart from the else, in terms of exactly how they are like yourselves empowering women um properly um and and you know like shining a light for the uh the multitude of others that are getting it so badly wrong that's a great question the the organizations that we've worked with have always been those yeah like kind of smaller scrappier startups from paradigm obviously we've done doing stuff with the stack uh yeah done with the stack done stuff with the un women like yeah so none of the kind of bigger higher level organizations that I can point to and say they're doing like an an incredible job what Mm -hmm. I would say I think is that I look at companies like I remember I interviewed um Celia Poole as an example who runs the tampon company Dame 
which yeah. are brilliant. And they have a really, really, I was really fascinated in how they designed their company. Um, mm-hmm. As they've recently registered as a B Corp, which I think takes about like kind of a year or more. Um, yeah, yeah. And essentially you have to go through a really rigorous process for ensuring that you, the way you're designing your company is in line with uh, yeah. kind of certain specific I, you know, ideals. And I listened to a ton of podcasts before interviewing Celia and it just felt like they were designing their, the internal like structure of their company you know for what is by the way a really fast growing company which is doing incredibly well they seemed mm. incredibly mindful of ensuring that while the company grew the all the employees who essentially you're always taking a leap of faith when you join a startup but that all their yep. that all their employees were really growing with them and i was really mm. struck and whether that from you know supporting uh like having really supportive maternity policies to uh you know ensuring that people had a lot of like self-development opportunities even within the context of the startup they just seemed yeah. to have an environment that cultivated a really great uh, work environment and I was super impressed to hear that and I think it's reflected in the fact that one from a kind of leadership perspective Celia just seems to be such a a great example of a leader who is yeah who who I really admire and who is really reflecting her values into her company Um, Mm. and another actually this isn't so much in terms of like supporting women, but I interviewed um, Bethany Williams a while ago for our change makers panel at Soho House. And yeah. one thing really struck me of what she said was that she'd always really sought to embed her own ethics, her own morality within the DNA of the company. So mm-hmm. she started out really small, just one person as a designer. She designs up, she's a, um, sustainable designer doing amazing things won multitude of awards and she said from day one so even when she was super super small just starting out she had a very clear set of like ethics that she abided by and so Mm -hmm. every decision she made for the company was was she'd always go back to this like you know strict body of ethics like this is what I believe and this is what I stand for and so her decision making process was guided by this from the get-go which meant Mm. for example she didn't take on any intern uh, any unpaid interns even though she couldn't you know, she she could have really done the help at the very beginning, and there were lots of people who were eager to be to be hired by her. But she was just fundamentally, I cannot take on unpaid intern because it's inherently elitist and unfair, and that's just something she always stuck by. So I think having a very clear body of ethics that you embed in the DNA of your company from the start seems to be a very you know, promising way of ensuring that when like the tree of your company grows thereafter, it grows yeah. in a positive way that you like. So yeah, I would shine a light on those two two companies. Mm, nice. And as you're saying, all the energy is uh, is in the sort of startup community. Uh, mm. Everyone appears to be obsessed and trying to get out of big corporates as fast as possible exactly. to, uh, to to jump into that world. Um, so go on then. So I know you're incredibly inspiring, uh, Emily. But I mean, um, so go on then. So where do you get, has to be asked, where do you get your inspiration from then? So what do you, uh, where do oh. you look to? Who do you read, um, watch, etc.? Well, I listen to loads of podcasts and I read as much as I possibly can. But in all honesty, I'm genuinely really, I'm surrounded continually by really incredible women uh, from the network, like just from virtue of being in the kind of female startup space, um, just the the women that I get to interview uh, through the stuff I do at the stack and her hustle. So I'm continually being... I think overexposed to the successes and the wisdom of a range of really brilliant women. Um, you know, I mentioned before she stands the political series I'm I'm hosting at the moment. I mean, every yeah. time I hear a politician story from their, you know, lo- volunteering at their their local Labour Party when they were 15 to then working at their local council to 
you know, I'm continually so inspired by their stories. So I think really to answer your question a little bit more succinctly, mm. it's just people's individual stories that always, and that's what it comes back to always. Like that's why I love journalism and the storyteller, whether that be through listening to tons of podcasts, interviews on Women's Hour, you know, reading people's stories in the paper, hearing the stories of women I interview. I'm just fascinated mm. perennially by people's life stories and take so much infra- inspiration from the way in which people have designed and navigated their own lives. So as an example, just kind of recently, I interviewed Jess Phillips, who is the um, shadow minister oh, yeah, for yeah. safeguarding women. And um, I think just an example to me of if I was ever to go into politics, she is just my total inspiration yeah, yeah. politically. And just hearing her story and how she's she worked at Women's Aid before going into politics and, and really kind of cut her teeth um, when it comes to policy and, and, uh, and fighting violence against women on the front line of women's services, especially at a time when there were huge funding cuts. And just learning from her how and why she does what she does and like the stories of the women that she worked with and kind of the constant fight that she is in to try and safeguard um the women in her constituency and specifically in the country more broadly every time I hear her speak every time I interview her I'm just left so galvanized and feel both angry because I want to join her fight to combat violence against women and also because I just find the way that she's doing it to be so yeah, so inspiring. Another woman I just um, you know interviewed the other day, Nimco Ali, who's doing incredible work. Um, she's been fighting against FGM for years since 2012, and yeah. she's now obviously she's been helping the government on their consultation on their new strategy to combat violence against women. And again, she's another example of a woman who has just really dedicated her professional and personal life to tackling violence against women in a myriad of different forms. And the way that she's able to jump from being kind of a government minister to being a fantastic communicator she has a podcast on lbc now to mm-hmm. being you know i saw her last night event um chair uh, a discussion on the future of uh of girls education she's able to just like jump across all these different spaces and mediums in such a way as to ensure that her message is continually being heard and she's really kind of maximizing her impact in this space so yeah just overexposure to brilliant women Absolutely fantastic. I have to say, by the way, that uh, about the uh, the mighty Jess Phillips, how pleased I was that uh, when my second book came out, mine was basically sort of displayed next to her epic book, Truth to Power, in foils. So there oh. we are, couldn't be better. Um, and <laughs> Such an books, accolade. I, exactly. I have to say, in terms of books, by the way, I interviewed um, uh, Sarah Wheeler, the travel writer, uh, a while ago. Oh, she travelled a lot in the Antarctic and the Arctic. One of her, she's written a lot, obviously, a lot. She's absolutely amazing. I, I loved her book, Oh My America, that was about the um, uh, the women that basically uh, went out to the US, um, uh, the first settlers or some of the first settlers just before the railroads were joined together in the US. So, you know, a time of, you know incredible um sort of a, a adventure and danger and uh, so she wrote about yeah i think about sort of about 15 um stories of women that had, had left europe particularly the uk and ireland obviously um and had gone over there and <laughs> i was saying to her so was there one particular thing that um that really worked for these women that really enabled them to uh to then sort of you know um uh, to break free of the sort of the shackles of the times as they were mm. then she said yeah so he said really odd she said the term what was really common was that when they got to the states the first thing they did was to ditch the men they were with <laughs> no fantastic. way yeah a lot oh, of them they actually they, they, they got locked up and <laughs> the book is amazing she's fantastic oh, so, definitely uh, so read it. 
and yeah, another book to add to my very very long list of summer reading which given there's not much summer <laughs> i'm not sure how uh, yeah, i'll be with this but god that sounds amazing mm, very good indeed so go on then. so i know you mentioned earlier on the thing about the for instance the activity you've got coming up that you can't talk in too much detail about with the mighty edition hotel so so what else so what's happening for you in terms of the the development of the site and the business and other things yeah well I mean over the next couple of months I'm really focusing on well one my journalism so I'm just writing a lot at the moment and really enjoying that so I'm writing for the stack and writing really focusing on my remit is politics sex and current affairs which I think covers all the most interesting facets of life there we are and uh, about to start a really interesting series on medical misogyny which I'm doing the research into now which Whoa. is yeah. going to be fascinating it's going to be in kind of many part like a multi-part series um so starting mm-hmm. that soon and yeah so just kind of writing and pitching a lot at the moment i've got a lot of interesting features that i've got in the pipeline just working out how on earth i'm gonna have time to write them all um mm. and then yeah so continue writing loads and then we've got this yeah as i mentioned the very beginning the radio show that working on foundation fm i'm really keen to do more broadcasting in radio so that's just mm. such an exciting um thing for me and and any any opportunities i get to do kind of hosting broadcasting i totally jump on so i'm really excited to be doing that and have a couple other potential things in the pipeline uh, for things I'll be hosting and running with. Um, I'm also working for a brilliant company called Day, which is a women's healthcare platform. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, in potentially working on a new, I'm not really sure if I talk about, but a new podcast series with them, which I'd be hosting and producing, which as an which I've kind of it's an idea I've had for a while, but they're really keen to to, to work with me on it. So. That will be great. And I'm really, really excited for that. And then with her hustle, as I said, we've, so we've got these new live events that we're working on. So there's about kind of quite a lot, like kind of six or seven different themes of events that we're working on um, over the coming months um, with the addition hotels. So just having, yeah, kind of ironing out plans um, and stuff for that. Um, and that's really well, I say that's really it. It's not. There's a couple of like balls I have in the air, but kind of yeah, mm. the main focus really is on just kind of throwing myself at yeah, the journalism, the events, the broadcasting. Uh, so yeah, a lot, a lot coming up, but it's all really exciting stuff, and I think that's what I always I kind of pinch myself. Like when we did the radio show yesterday, when I was hosting this um, event last week at the stack, a week before, uh, I kind of always pinch myself. I'm like, can't believe that this is work I always had quite Mm. a punitive idea of work when I was growing up like it had to be really grueling and tough and kind of miserable and Mm. actually really leaning into the journalism storytelling side of things has just gives me so much joy just sharing Mm. stories and hearing other people's stories is to me like the best thing you can do and spend your time doing so I feel incredibly Mm. privileged that that's how I will be spending my days in the in the next few months very very nice too um and then what about um it might be a bit of a sort of left field question but um sort of geography from the mm. point of view of even like sort of center of gravity uh and the sort of um you know where the action's at in terms of the opportunities for women um mm. you know are, are there any are there any particular countries that are doing this particularly well are there any particular cities that are really super vibrant when you're sort of you know when you're talking with people when you're telling their stories listening to their stories do they tend to talk about um again yeah a certain place that is just Mm. you know a great place to be i mean we've always been really london centric I mean, both for good and for bad, I think. And it's the same, Mm. that's with her hustle and the same with the stack. And I have to say there is such a 
vibrant female founder uh creative entrepreneurial just generally kind of female network in london i mean there's so many uh really great initiatives and networks and things you can tap into in this city that i think it's really it's i think it's easier than ever to find your tribe which is something mm. the piece of advice which is always uh given at her hustle events when people always say like find yeah, your yeah. tribe your people that your people that inspire you that galvanize you that like you know you can check in with that you can kind of hold to account they hold you to account in your in your work and life goals and i think now more than ever there are just so many groups and networks that you can join here so mm. i say this from a purely biased perspective but i think london has got so much going on i also caveat that with we have been obviously in lo- in lockdown i kind of can't really i yeah. do not feel like i don't not feel like a global citizen but i feel even more embedded into like you know even more london centric than ever before just because i haven't really left for so long but mm. i feel grateful for that i think because there is just there are so many opportunities here and i think now things are beginning to open up again i think it's just it reminds me certainly how lucky i am to live in a city where there is an event every single night you can go to oftentimes for free where you can meet incredible people and i think oh god who i listened i interviewed someone that was i interviewed did a panel the other day for stack on like how to uh freelance successfully and Ellen yep. Atlanta, who also works the stack and is a consultant and uh, just brand builder and just all around amazing woman. Um, yeah. One of the pieces of advice she had for freelancers was network, network, network. And she was said one of the things that was really critical to her when she was building her career was yeah. going out to events all the time and meeting people and being really intentional. So saying like, okay, what spaces do Mm. I want to be in? Who do I want to be around? Who do I want to be working around? And if you're not in that space yet, just go to the events. I mean, London has now, yeah, I said now things are opening up. There is, there are numerous events on every night and catering to whatever interest or whatever it is that that you want to get involved in. So I think it's really important and also really fun to get out to that sort of stuff because you never know who you're going to meet. And I think every I never, ever, ever regret meeting somebody new. It always, mm. I mean, whether it's on a personal connection level, whether it's professional, both, and oftentimes it is both. People are, yeah, I think are, are the greatest, um, kind of the greatest, fu- is the greatest fuel for, for your life and your career. So, yeah, I think in a bias towards London, but London, it's great. Yeah, yeah. Okay, fair one. Okay, well, as we begin to finish off, and it's been absolutely great talking to you, Louise. Mm. Um, in terms of the um, like the, the overall sort of ethos of this sort of podcast series, I've tended to sort of talk with everyone um, about their take on um, the three issues that particularly interest me of hope, community, and resilience. So, in terms of um, what gives you hope and um, where you find community and uh, how you achieve resilience what's a perhaps a yeah gives you a viewpoint on those um can you repeat it's hope yeah so hope community and resilience they're all really enmeshed in one so i'm gonna bring it back again as always due to what i'm working at the moment but with the stack membership which has kind of brought in a lot of the hustle members as well i we had a, a stack event the other day and i looked around and i was just so it, it it gave me hope for the future. You had a room full of incredible women who were there discussing the future of women's empowerment and how we mm-hmm. make that happen. And they were connecting. I was connecting. Everyone was 
the attitude was high how can I help you and how can you help me how do we collectively Mm. lift one another up and I'd say that just generally about the stack community and the hustle her hustle community as well it gives me hope seeing how willing people are to help one another and I Mm. think resilience is also embedded in that because I think you need a network you need a community to foster personal resilience because you know, work and life can be hard and you need people who have your back. And when you fall, they're there to lift you up just as you're there to lift them up when they fall. So I say that kind of in in Mesh One and obviously community is at the center of that. So I think Mm. hope, resilience and community are all just, it's just community. It's having people around you and being being part of something that also reminds you that there's just, uh, there's things that are so much kind of bigger than you. So yeah, I think, I think that would be my, that'd be my take. Okay, nice. Well, and just to be um, absolutely clear, because we have quite a sort of a mm. uh, broad international sort of a, a listenership, as it mm. were. So just so everyone's entirely clear exactly where they can track you down. Um, go on then. Well, my preferred social media account is Instagram, just because I think you can't manage all of them. So that's where I post all my work, what I'm up to. I've got a link tree. I'm just finishing off my website. I had to a bit of update. So I'll have a link to my website on my Instagram page. But if you go to my Instagram, you can find everything from links to the radio show, to my stack articles, to events with her hustle. Everything is there. And soon you'll be able to have a link to my website as well. So head there and hopefully you can keep up to date with everything I'm working on at the moment. Brilliant. Well, Emma Louise, that's been absolutely fantastic. Um, thank you uh, so much. So, as a sort of literal last thing, um, go on then. If one is doing the uh, uh, the mini uh, elevator pitch um, for her hustle, um, just if anyone has uh, sort of jumped into the podcast at the last minute, or whatever. Um, so, go on then. Um, what's the uh, what's the investment pitch? Oh God, the investment pitch. I haven't done investment pitches in a while. <laughs> Her hustle is we're just sharing the stories of brilliant women in order so that we can all lift one another up on our respective career journeys. Mm. Absolutely fantastic. Where do I sign? Um, <laughs> well, look, uh, all I can say is uh, so to the uh, entrepreneur, journalist, broadcaster, and co founder of the mighty Her Hustle, Emma Louise Boynton, thank you very much indeed. Oh, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast, Sean. Thanks for listening to the New Abnormal podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please leave a rating, tell your friends, and until next time, goodbye.